Today's episode of the Happy Zen Podcast is powered by 8-Bit Beans Coffee. 8-Bit Beans is fuel for the savvy gamer. Don't fill up on gross energy drinks when you need that extra gaming kick. Instead, go with 100% gourmet Arabica coffee in all sorts of blends and flavors, designed for gamers and game fans alike. Head to 8bitbeans.com and use the promo code HAPPYZEN to get 15% off your entire order. And now, on to the show. Hey guys, Matt here. Just wanted to take a moment before today's episode to let you know that our guest, Jason Anarchy, has a new Kickstarter campaign up for Drinking Quest 6-Pack. It's a collection of all six Drinking Quest games in a cool box set with new art and new content. So now if you haven't had a chance to play Drinking Quest, you can get this collection with all six games and have hours and hours of entertainment. You can head to drinkingquest.com, scroll down, and you'll find the link for the Kickstarter campaign, or you can search for Drinking Quest 6-Pack at kickstarter.com. If the campaign's over, you can always go back to drinkingquest.com and get the game when it comes out, or purchase any other of Jason's games from the past 10 years. Some said they couldn't do it. Even more said they probably shouldn't. But here they are, bringing you another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Adam and Matt. All right, we are back for another special episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Uh, We did uh, a little while ago an episode on our top five NES games. And it was so much fun that we thought we would do it again and this time dive into the well, our top five Super Nintendo games, a different place in our history, uh, depending on our age groups here. This could be potentially the first system that you maybe bought. It might be the first system that you maybe had more flexibility in what games you were playing. Uh, but to do this list, we have a very special guest. And I guess I will, you know, I'll say Adam's here too. You can say hello, Adam, if you like. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a third time returning special guest. Uh, you may know him as a, oh, that sounds nasty. See, I had in my notes an, infa- <laughs> an infamous tabletop game designer, but infamous sounds like he's an evil villain. I guess he could be. Uh, of such uh, awesome games as Drinking Quest uh millennial manatees uh the upcoming your friend is sad uh many many more he's also a nerd rapper you can check out his uh single the middle class of middle earth i highly recommend that he also i believe unofficially holds the title for the biggest biceps in all of board gaming please welcome jason anarchy hello thank you for that intro and uh, (laughs) I'll, i'll take infamous any day of the week that sounds fun yeah, I, I had it written down, and I thought, as I'm saying, I'm like, that sounds kind of mean, but I guess it's 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 mean in a cool way. It's fine. Uh, so, Jason, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so, when we pitched this idea, you were very uh, you seemed very excited to to join us for this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume 
the Super Nintendo was a pretty important part of your childhood. Oh, absolutely. It's still an important part of my adulthood. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's easily my all-time favorite system. Um, and it's got the best games, uh, many of which have, have aged very well. Um, you know, a lot of games still haven't beaten certain games that have come out on Super Nintendo in terms of their genre. Um, and yeah, of course, I've got great childhood memories like the the Christmas that came out. I got it for Christmas. All my friends at school did. And, uh, you know, it was magic then. It's still magic now. So now I play Super Nintendo games with my kids. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always remained my favorite. So I, I got to ask you, I got to ask you, the when you got your Super Nintendo, the game that came with it, now, because some of the Super Nintendo was pretty good at having different titles that would come with it on occasion. Yeah. Is that title in your list out of curiosity? Because just I'll, I'll share my story. I got the Super Nintendo and I got Super Soccer with mine. That Whoa. is not in my list by any means. And it was I, very I can understand that. Yeah. Um, so I, I got uh, I got Super Nintendo that came with uh, Super Mario World. Uh, and I also got a copy of SimCity, which I remember when I got it, I was like, oh, SimCity, whatever. I didn't know what it was. I didn't care. But I definitely wanted Mario. Um, Mario World is still one of my all-time favorite games. And, you know, you can make a strong argument that it's still the best Mario game overall. Um, but neither of those two games are on my list. Uh, but for the record, I came to love SimCity. Like that adaptation, um, you know, you could do a lot with it, but it was still fairly simple. Uh, the music was great. Um, yeah, and just as a kid, it uh, you know you could use your imagination with it and just kind of do anything you wanted, and that was a lot of fun for me. So you you kind of answered the question I was going to ask, and that is, are you playing much uh, retro games currently, or are you mostly playing current uh, systems? Oh, um, always a little bit of both, especially in pandemic year. Pandemic year was just licensed for me to just pump my kids full of video games to entertain them because they're just here all the time with me. And, um, you know, and my wife understands too. It's like, okay, they're doing something and they're engaged with it. And, um, you know, the past year, you know, I'll see the, the odd article about, and there, I think there was a pretty big one in the New York times where these parents are basically shaming their kids for playing a lot of video games or something. And it's like, it is a, sorry, can I swear on here? Absolutely. I'm like, it is a fucking pandemic. This kid is going through some horrible shit right now. Let them play more video games than usual during this horrible thing that's happening. You know, it's, uh, you know, if you're stuck at home, that that is a place you can go. You know, you can go to the world of whatever game you're playing. And, uh, you know, they've all got different rules and different mechanics and ways that they work. Um, and, you know, it's not passive entertainment. It's not watching, you know, cartoons or anything, you know, which are still great. But, uh you know, on the topic of kids and video games, I am I'm very much for them. Oh no, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this. I think that there's it's a little gem in terms of the online and video games and, and, and I think retro gaming is even would be if I could advocate on behalf of this, getting your kids a chance to play some of these retro games because they are I'm not going to say they're educational tools, but they, they made your brain work. They had to use puzzles. They had to integrate a lot of different things to make the game challenging and to make it, you know, um, competitive for you to play it. Whereas today's games, you know, we can we can talk about the debate between the old genre and the new genre and the the 16-bit and how they had to make that entertaining. But they obviously did something right in the way that it's so sustainable. The games are so long-lasting. And quite frankly, you can just put the title back on and completely indulge in it. 
and I, even my kids, they would turn the 16-bit system on. They would add, be drawn to that more than their PlayStation 4 and 5. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. It's, um, and the, the thing I find amazing is that uh, with my kids, at least, you know, there's no real distinction between a new game and an old game. It's, uh, you know, if I build up a game and I'm like, oh, you know, it's good for this reason, and then they play it, you know, they, they tend to uh, like the stuff I think they're going to like, which is kind of cool. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they're young enough that they haven't been influenced by what their friends are playing at school. So, you know, if they ever want to go through like a Minecraft phase or a Fortnite, uh, Fortnite phase or whatever, then, you know, I'm, I'm on board with that. But in the meantime, it's like, you know, I, I like playing brand new games that are coming out. And then also, you know, the, the best of old school stuff. Um, and usually not online stuff, but, you know, like uh, a few games like Splatoon and things like that. But anyway, getting off topic here. Games are amazing, and they're they're in every generation that people can play. But specifically, Super Nintendo has aged well, and it's still my personal favorite. Well, on that note, let's uh, dive into the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, or the Super Nintendo, or simply SNES. It was launched in 1990 in Japan, where there it is known as the Super Famicom which we spoke a little bit about the Famicom and the NES episode being the short for family computer. In uh, South Korea, it was also launched in 1990. They are known as the Super Comboy, C-O-M-B-O-Y. And strangely, it was distributed by Hyundai Electronics. Uh, And then it was released in North America in 91, Europe and Australasia in 92, and South America in 93. I do not know why it was spread out so much like that, but uh, it's definitely way more like the NES. I think we talked about, I think it was between two years, maybe, <clears throat> maybe three. Uh, the Canadian launch price was $219 uh, at the time, which is about $377 with inflation today. Mm-hmm. And it uh, was supposed to come out in 92 in Canada, but they brought it out a little bit early and it came out for the holiday season for 1991. The console uh, obviously was a generational leap over the NES, uh, stereo sound, better graphics. Uh, It was also designed from the ground up to accommodate games that would have uh, a variety of enhancement chips in the actual game so that they could keep adding functionality to the system throughout its lifespan and keep it relevant. Uh, Which you definitely, when you think of the term console wars, I think the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis was probably the the peak of that. Uh, You had just a nonstop back and forth throughout the uh, early to mid 90s. This will blow you away, Adam. We talked about how many games came out on the NES uh, do you have any idea how many games came out on the Super Nintendo? I couldn't say. I, I'm going to say a th- thousand, well over a thousand. Officially released for the Super Nintendo. Now this is worldwide. One thousand seven hundred and fifty-seven games, uh, of which oh. we got seven hundred and seventeen in North America, uh, and then there was a variety of overlap in in Europe and Japan and whatnot. Uh, also in Japan, they had a couple things that we didn't have like um uh what we had in north america i don't know if it was in canada but definitely in the states for sega they had the sega channel where you could download games basically from a satellite channel uh in japan they had something similar uh for the super nintendo uh, but we did not have that 
So yeah, there are basically 717 games officially we would have seen in North America. So a, a huge selection. Uh, so we're going to get into probably not really in an official order, but our five top games. Again, we discussed before the episode, not necessarily the you know review-wise top review games of all time. Uh, they could be games that are... Uh, nostalgic to us or games that we played a lot of or that were important to us let's start with jason uh why don't you go first and uh list off your fifth or or your fifth slot uh game sure yeah okay so fifth in my slot is uh, a game that uh achieved that ranking for no technical reasons whatsoever um it was just it it was kind of like the 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 one-off or kind of the random slot and it's teenage mutant ninja turtles turtles in time and it made it there for all kinds of reasons. Um, it was big. It was colorful. The The graphics were, uh, you know, the best Ninja Turtles we'd ever seen at the time. Um, and it gave fans of the show everything they wanted from the cartoons and from the movies. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. I remember playing that in the arcade when I was a kid, and I loved that. They had a great adaptation on NES. Uh, but this um, took that same basic kind of, uh, you know, brawler format and uh, just made everything bigger and better. Uh, the levels were really imaginative. You're traveling through time. Uh, and you could play two-player co-op. You could just sit there on a couch with a buddy, you know, eating cereal on a Saturday morning, uh, playing Ninja Turtles. I, I put a lot of time into that. It was a great game. Yeah, this definitely made my honorable mentions uh, list for sure. It was on my short list. I cracked it out uh, last night as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... We I, we talked about um, Turtles Two on the NES. Um, I think it was on my list actually. Uh, this is definitely the natural evolution of that game. The graphics were better. The sound was better. You know, had more voice samples. The co-op was fantastic. It could maybe even be a little bit easier than Turtles Two, the arcade game, was on the NES. It was definitely easier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the only downside to it maybe was it was a bit short. I remember it being short as even as a kid. It, it seemed pretty quick to get through, but that could have been because it was not quite as difficult uh, as well. Well, I think there was an option you could give yourself like, uh, you know, more lives or something like that. Like without a code, it was like part of the default options. Hmm. Um, But I I remember thinking, yeah, it was kind of short, but maybe um, just because, you know, you weren't playing the first three levels 500 times because of like a a crushing difficulty. Um, and, And I remember feeling good about the fact that I could beat that game. Because games from that era tended to be a lot harder, and there were a lot of games that you would never beat as a kid and would honestly have no hope of beating, really. Um, so I, I like the fact that, you know, you could finish that game. Well, Adam, what do you got? Adam? Oh, sorry. I had it on mute there. I didn't want to breathe into the microphone. So oh, good. I, I, my number five, it's um, it couldn't – I have to put it at five – because mostly because when we talk about some of the other games, you can, I think you would put them in first. Like coming to the SNES, SNES um, conversation was, as I said off off air, I just put it as if you gave me a brand new Super Nintendo and I and asked me to pick five games right now that I'm going to explore as if I haven't had a brand new console, uh, brand new Super Nintendo console in you know 20, 30 years. And so I, I broke down very quickly. These are games I'd want to put in instantly. And number five, it, it, I would get to it, but it wouldn't have been 
before the other titles. It's actually Pilot Wings. Oh, mm. yeah. So I loved this game. I was an only child, first of all. Okay, so a lot of my gaming was by myself. Um, I did have friends that I gamed with, but you know, the vast majority of my gaming um, was enjoying one-player games. Um, it, I was very fortunate that way. You know, I didn't have to deal with a sibling or anything like that. So that was super helpful. Pilot Wings was so fun. The music, um, I'm sure for my parents probably were tired of hearing it constantly going over. But it was so pleasant as, a, as an 11-year-old to sit there and, and hear the, the fun music. It just had a, a, a nice hum to it to keep you playing for hours at a time. And it was the first incarnation to me if we started getting all those different directions like the skydiving mode having the ground hurl at you and the map seems so big to get to play in the side of that space and the physics of the movement of all the the apparatuses whether it was you know flying the light plane or, the, or whipping around the rocket belt or you know even just the skydiving functionality of it once you started figuring it out and even though it was really repetitive in nature in the sense that it yes things escalated as challenges um, I don't remember the end of it. I don't remember making it to the end. I, I think Pilot Wings is one of those games that you played so far along, put it away, play something else for a while, and a few months later you might throw it back in and do the same things over again that you did before, but felt like a better sense of confidence because you could do it faster or better or be getting better times and scores. And I just found the repeatability of the game was so high. And considering it was in the early stages of Super Nintendo, it was a game that made it feel like such a big leap when you went from Nintendo to Super Nintendo. It was such a different title to do something completely different, and it really captured a lot of what Super Nintendo was going to allow you to do that made you ultimately put your Nintendo in the cupboard and probably not touch it for a while. Yeah, I think Pilot Wings was a launch title, if I remember correctly, or, or very close to it if it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was a 1990 release overseas yeah. and 91 here. What I remember about that game too was it it heavily used those um, the mode seven graphics, so like that zooming in and out, and like you mentioned the the, the just the fake kind of three D look to it that you know later F Zero and in, in Mario Kart and a lot of those games would use. Um, no, I, I definitely remember playing it. I didn't own it. I didn't rent it. I think I had a friend or two that uh, that had it early on. But uh, no, that was uh, no, that's a good pick for sure. Yeah, I never played Pilot Wings when it was out originally on Super Nintendo, but I remember I had a friend loan me Pilot Wings '64, uh, and like SimCity, it was one of those games. Like as a kid, I wasn't interested in, but it was like, oh, I had the cartridge there. It's like, okay, I'll play this new game, uh, and I had a lot of fun with that, and I thought that was really cool. So when uh, I think it was on the the SNES Classic system, or maybe it's on the Switch Super Nintendo download i i finally played the original 16-bit version like pretty recently and i was just like oh wow yeah the the mode 7 looks a little dated but it's like for 91 that would have been mind-blowing and uh you know i still got a sense that you know this was nintendo and they had a, a good sense of gameplay and progression and uh yeah that, that's a, a good choice i i wasn't expecting to hear pilot wings on one of these adam's just here to mess things up i mean really now now mine seems pretty pedestrian like I said to you, I, it's um, you know Jumbo Video for me and the Canadian. You know, that was my rental hub um, when I first got my Super Nintendo. 
and I had access to it. And our jumbo video was quite stocked. It had at least 50 titles. It was an entire wall. So it had to be at least 50 titles, um, tons of access to those rentals. They had the seven day rental that was quite cheap. So I did have a lot of turnover in traffic with games. Um, so for me, it was just the ones that really resonated to take back into the console. And I, and I, I'm glad to see that my list started off a little bit different because I think that means my next few picks are going to be maybe really off the, the chart with you guys. So I'm looking forward to that. That's great. Well, my number five is a little known game. I don't know that anyone really has heard of before. It's called, uh, uh street fighter two turbo. Oh, that's not pedestrian. That's amazing. That's a great choice. Um, the the weird thing about it, I think the reason it's my number five and maybe not higher is I'm terrible at it. I'm just awful at these 16-bit fighting games. But Street Fighter Two was one of those games that for a long time, if if I didn't have a friend that had it, we we would always have you know rental rented or or play it it was always a game that everybody knew and you always had like, you know, at least one character that you were somewhat good at, or you could be really cheap and at least get some wins with. But I think it was a good, it was a good example early on of having that arcade feel at home. Um, it, it had, you know, the big sprites uh, Capcom had like, I don't know what they did with Super Nintendo, but all their games have like really heavy, like like a bass uh, feel to them. So, you know, the hits really have like that that crunch to them. And the, and the music is obviously fantastic. The animation, all that. And it was a relatively simple game to pick up and play. But you really had to to play it a lot to figure out how to get good at it. Like it was, you know, the... the cliche easy to uh to learn hard to master but it's it, it was always i don't know it always seemed like somebody everybody that had a super nintendo either had a street fighter 2 version because there was a couple of them uh or you know you could get one pretty quick and, and everybody you know at least knew of it it was such a popular game uh i mean i don't know how many street i think street fighter 2 street fighter 2 turbo super street fighter 2 I, I can't remember how many Street Fighters came out on the Super Nintendo, but for me, uh, Turbo was kind of where it peaked. I just remember, uh, I, I don't know, it was it was definitely that first vibe of of having that, like, wow, I'm playing what I could play at the bowling alley or, you know, the arcade at home to a degree. I mean, as a kid, you didn't notice as much. Obviously, it's not quite the same, but it, it felt like it. And uh, I don't know, it, it was both the most fun as well as the most infuriating game to play too because if you played against somebody that was really good this was a sibling killer because if you had a brother or a family member that was good at it they would always want to play and it would you, what were you going to do you only had like a handful of games so you would just get your ass handed to you until you know maybe you got like a game guide and figured out how to be really cheap or, or something like that but i don't know street fighter 2 turbo my weird obscure pick for number five. That's a great choice. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's like the ultimate pass the controller after a match kind of game. Absolutely. And it was also the one where, okay, I'll play you, but you can't use this person because you yeah. always beat me with Chun-Li or you can't use Ryu or you can't. Yeah, absolutely. I'll play you only if that's the case. And, and don't, don't you remember, even today, like I'll, I'll 
the kids will put something on, they'll download something for play, download something for PlayStation, and maybe it's a, a fighting game. And I'm instinctively still using the same move combos to see if they work on these characters, whether or not the title's related to Capcom or not. You just try because you're like, this is inherently, well, this is how I do it. And your kids are amazed because you're like a genius. And you're like, well, no, this is just, this is where it came from. And it's all those hours on Street Fighter to Turbo. And and you said Turbo, right? Or did you say Street Fighter? No, no, I I said Turbo. Turbo was the one that I think I I ended up playing the most of for sure. Mm. And and I think for some reason, um, Turbo was the second of the, I don't know, I think there's three, maybe there was other ones, but there was three main ones there was street fighter 2 street fighter 2 turbo and then super street fighter 2 turbo i think it, or or maybe just super street fighter 2 anyway super street fighter 2 added cammy and uh uh t-hawk like four new fighters um but for some reason yes. street fighter 2 turbo the middle entry yeah, yeah. without those four new characters is looked back on as the the superior version maybe better performance or something like that i don't know i i think it just um it was very it was the balance was really good and then this one brought in because the original Street Fighter Two you couldn't play as the the bosses like uh, M Bison and and I forget uh, who else they cut out. Sega. Yeah, but I don't think you could play as them. Uh, and then they came out with the Championship Edition on the Sega and Turbo on the Super Nintendo, and you could play as them. That's my number five. That's a good pick. So, uh, Jason, you're up. Okay. Um, now, similar to Adam, uh, I was also an only child uh, until I was twelve, and by then the damage was done. But my <laughs> but my first two picks are both uh, because they were the best two player games. Uh, so my number four is Contra Three: The Alien Wars, and this game was it, it's it's a perfect game in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, you just pick up and play it. You just immediately start shooting. There's immediately action. Uh, there's only six levels, but the challenge is so high that it'll take forever to actually beat the game. Uh, you can play around with like adjustable lives and things like that, but even then, it's still a just a really punishing game. But in such a, a fun way, it's just one of those games where if you make a mistake, you feel like it's your fault and not the game's, so you don't get overly frustrated and you want to keep going. Um, and this came out in '92, I believe. So it was uh, you can th- there's a really strong influence you can see from. Uh, Terminator 2, the game kind of feels like it's the the, the future that you see in, in Terminator 2 flashbacks. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of aliens in there as well. So you've got the you've got the huge buff Arnold Schwarzenegger type characters, you know, shooting guns. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those pure action games. Um, and it's got uh, a couple of levels that aren't like side scrolling levels. They're like top down mode seven effects. So, uh, you know, it mixes it up quite a bit. Um and just the, the action never stops, and it's two players simultaneous, one-hit deaths. Uh, they're really creative with the uh, monsters and or the aliens and the bosses that you fight. Uh, there's you know a floating jet bike level. It uh, it, it does everything. So it's uh, from start to finish, just every moment is action, every moment is creative, and it's a great two-player simultaneous game. And the music is also great. Love that music. Did you ever finish it? I think I did. Yes, I finished it once at least. Uh, I, I remember one day we, uh, me and a, another friend that lived in my building, we devoted to uh, finishing Contra Three once and for all, and we did. Now I think there are different difficulty modes. If we did, it must have been on easy. We talked about uh, Contra. It was on my list for the NES, and uh, I think Adam 
was oh no you were talking were you talking about this one or were you talking about yeah, Super no C? I was no I no no yeah. I was I was talking about this because this was the one where you could use if I remember correctly Contra three was the one where you could use the flamethrowers wasn't it and you could hold it and point up yeah. and down and like wave the flames yeah so I loved that function of this and certainly I do agree that if I'm picking out of the Contra series this was my favorite incarnation because it gave you a little more you could do with your characters which just gave it just that little bit of for me better replayability and your comment about um when you messed up like when you when things went wrong it was your fault and you could totally live with that because the game was so done in such a way where you know what you need to do to beat it and it's just you not doing it so you just had to keep going until you could do it yeah Yeah. and uh and i really like uh you know you could hold two guns in this one and switch back and forth yes and they had all those you know different gun types that you know just you know you could use in different ways and this one you could swap back and forth and i remember that just being such an innovation at the time. Well, that, that makes me think too, but the innovation of just the, the L and R trigger of that remote, of that controller. Yeah. Like, and then you held both of them and your character turned towards the screen with both guns, like that cool pose. And I remember that was just such a neat thing in that game to do. And it really did make you focus on using those triggers in a different way. Cause that was a neat part of a super Nintendo too, that I think we might address as we go through is that, having that L and R trigger that everyone's so accustomed to today, it was such a neat thing to have because it was novel. And then the games, like how they utilized it in such a different way. Whereas I feel like most of the, you know, even the PlayStation that they utilize the triggers and it's almost the same way all the time. That doesn't feel like there's uniqueness to it. Where I remember Nintendo was, there was a lot of different ways they try to incorporate how you were going to use these triggers because they hadn't quite figured it out to be a routine yet. Yeah, and it was a it was a, a system innovation at the time that companies actually took advantage of, uh, because since then you know there, there's been some gimmicky things that you know new systems can do, um, but you know maybe half the time developers actually make them uh, you know important parts of their games. Um, but yeah, those L and R buttons were were used in a lot of different ways, and they were great. I think yeah, Nintendo's so always been really good with uh, advancements in in controllers, even you know the ones that don't necessarily hit it a hundred percent there's usually ideas from them that are picked up by other companies i mean who are you oh sorry yeah. <laughs> all right well you know look not, not everybody can be perfect uh i still can't see properly after the virtual boy oh virtual boy yeah that's uh <laughs> yeah oh. i don't think there's a lot of defenders of the virtual boy <laughs> but i mean you know so even speaking of street fighter 2 turbo I mean, you look at those kids that had like a Sega Genesis and Sega had to release a brand new controller just to make that game playable because there's they had a three button controller. Right. Whereas right from the get go, you know, Super Nintendo was released with enough buttons. You didn't have that problem. Yeah. With with, with the original Genesis controller, you had to hit start to switch the punches to kicks. Yeah. And it's like yeah. that. Oh, it's terrible. All right. So. That was uh, that was my number four. Oh, my turn. I'm ready for this. Yeah, it's Adam. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah. So my fighter, because I ended up with a fighter on this, and I do think this. this Super Did Nintendo I hear you chuckle before you started? Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I okay. kind of chuckled at this because I, okay. I brought something a little bit different to the table, and I'm 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 so glad you did Street Fighter because I think I enjoyed Street Fighter, but I would put this in my console ahead of it, and it was a rare title. And it was a, a, a port from the arcade system. Oh, I know. And it was actually failed um, in 1995 on the Nintendo Ultra 64. It didn't go as well. And it actually found a better home on Super Nintendo. 
and that is Killer Instinct. Oh, yeah. yeah so it was using those Donkey Kong style graphics, right? Like Donkey Kong mm-hmm. Country style graphics. Rendered and it just graphics. Had a different, yeah, it had such a different look to it. And I remember the Ultra Combo that used to always come out. I, I still hear that guy's voice in my head. Um, the characters were so different. They were so aggressive and, and volatile in nature. And and for me, this actually just was... I enjoyed this more than Mortal Kombat. I enjoyed the characters in it more. And so that made it connect a little bit better. And it, I don't know why, but it just it, st- it stuck with me. It stuck because I think I liked the character design in terms of... Uh, and the look and the rendering of it. So Plus, one of the characters was a freaking Velociraptor, which was just weird. <laughs> like, I just some stuff in it was just weird. And I liked the weirdness of it, right? You got a guy that's like a virtually human torch. You got a, a cyborg that's a cross between a predator and an actual Jean-Claude Van Damme. You got a cyborg. You got a, like a, a werewolf, a, a Arctic werewolf thing. It was cool. Like, it was just weird characters that didn't make any sense why they were there. I can't tell you what the premise of why these the characters were fighting each other, but who cares? It was just, it was, it was just, you put it in, mash the shit out of it with each other, laugh at it, have a great time. Um, and get pissed off because you would either be completely dominated by your friends and can't figure out how to make shit work. I mean, it had lots of holes in reflection, but it was just, I don't know. It just stands out as the fighter that I'm going to, if I'm going to put a fighting game in, this is it. Huh. Oh yeah. Great, great choice. I remember, uh, you could do like ridiculous, like 64 hit combos and stuff like that. <laughs> Yes, and uh, yeah, oh, it was it was so ridiculous. Um, and uh, the soundtrack was really good. And as as an adult, a couple of years ago, I saw they had a Killer Instinct vinyl soundtrack on a site, and uh, and so I, I have a, a vinyl record of the Killer Instinct soundtrack, and it's got uh, Spinal on the the cover, the the skeleton guy. Yeah, so, I so. love it. I love it. That's so cool. But you know what? You mentioned Mortal Kombat, and I, I mean. I, I think Killer Instinct was, at least at that time, had a much smoother combat system than Mortal Kombat did. Mortal Kombat, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from it, but its claim to fame at the time was the digitized graphics and the violence. It wasn't necessarily the combat system and, and how smooth that was. I think Killer Instinct, it, rightfully, as you said, it just it, it was a smoother, um, a smoother play. It, it, it just, I think it was a, you know, the later Mortal Kombat's got there, and I think Street Fighter was there, but was a different style. But I, I think Killer Instinct was was definitely um, ahead of its time. It's it's sort of like, um, it kind of reminds me of Soul Calibur uh, later on, but obviously came out, you know, long before. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and as you're saying that, it, you're helping articulate why this, you know, subconsciously would go on the list and I couldn't take it off of it. Because there's like another game that I kind of had in this four spot, and in doing so, it got bumped completely to the honorable mentions. And so, it, but it, and it, it's a unique title as well. But I just, I did something about just the flow and the game and the and like you could combo, you know, your buddy. You could do so many combos to your buddy. They never actually got to do anything, and they just died. <laughs> and that was like watching them just totally melt the fuck down and get so mad at you. Like I don't know, that was just fun. I just, it is, that was a memory of watching people throw the controller and fucking walk out of the room. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, was that me? Because that sounds like it could have been me. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, 
my number four is, I think, probably biased because uh, it was a game I owned pretty early on. And I kind of hemmed and hawed with uh, this or uh, Ninja Turtles. And it's uh, it's Final Fight 2. Another big sprite Capcom game, two-player co-op, beat-em-up. I just, I don't know. I don't know why I like this game. I think because it's just, the whole story thing is okay, it's fine, but... I just love the visceral, like Capcom just knows how to make beat em up games. Capcom and Konami uh, in their heyday. Just that, I don't know, like that, that visceral feeling of just, and there's not really any blood. It's not gory, but, it, you know, you're this giant wrestler slash mayor, uh, which makes perfect sense. Uh, or like Hagar. a ninja. Yeah, exactly. Uh but again, it was another one of those things where it was like bringing that arcade experience home. It was very much uh, that, you know, like the evolution of something like a Double Dragon or, or Turtles 2, or any of the, the beat-em-ups, the co-op beat-em-ups. You got some weapons. And again, I think I probably have this higher up on my list just because I it, it was one I owned and it was always a, a pretty quick pick-up-and-play. You know, like there's like three buttons you had to do and they were all just like, you know, kick punch or jump i think was a three so there, there wasn't a whole lot to it but it's just fun you know just to burn through an afternoon just uh you and a friend just just beating up on the same same sprite with a different name maybe a different color jacket over and over again but the bosses in that game were huge sprites again coming from like nintendo to the 16-bit era the size of the, of the sprites that they could put on screen uh, and, and you'd see that in, in the Contra, as you mentioned as well. It just, uh, it, it was, it was, it felt next gen. Like it felt like a leap for sure. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think Final Fight 2, Final Fight 1 was good. It was only one player though, I think on the Super Nintendo. They didn't get the two player part of it for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I, I remember but, playing Final Fight 1 a few times. And what I liked yeah. about it was that the, yeah, the sprites were big, but it was also, colorful and you get a lot of those beat em up games that were just super dark and that mm-hmm. was just the era that it was so i i like that they found a way to uh just have a lot of different color palettes into it make every level look different um, and it's not just you know dark 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 all the time yep uh okay we've got uh J- jason you're up next okay uh so third in my slot uh so my top three are all strict one player games and when i think of video games um i think of you know, the, the one-player experience is the best measure of, you know, what your system can offer. Um, and, you know, I, I design board games and tabletop games, so that, that that's where I, I get my multiplayer fix um, for the most part. So uh, in my third spot is Chrono Trigger. Um, it's, you know, a fan favorite to this day, and it was, um, you know, it's a, a JRPG, so, you know, similar to Final Fantasy, have your fight, item, magic kind of choices. Um, and this game was... You know, it, it was just the peak of sprite graphics. Like, nothing comes close to it. So, absolutely beautiful game. Um, and had great characters. It had great character interactions. And there was a lot of flexibility with how you could put your teams together. And uh, it had uh, a system where you could com- two different characters could combine their techniques. So, you have, like, a lightning guy and, like, an ice guy. And, you know, when they get together, they, they make a brand new move. And so... 
Um, that, that was, that was really interesting because they, they really delivered on that. Those were a lot of fun to use. Um, but then also not only did it have a great story and, you know, roughly, you know, 25 hour, 30 hour RPG, uh, it had a great story, but it made great use of time travel. So you're traveling to different times, uh, in the same world, which is still a pretty big world. And you're going back in time, 65, you know, million years ago when you're doing things that, you know, have impact when you go to the future and it had a lot of little clever things like that, that it did. So, uh, if anyone's listening, if you've never played Chrono Trigger and you've ever had any interest in RPGs, then that, uh, that is a good one to check out. Yeah. I definitely remember that one being, um, it was well reviewed, but yeah, it didn't quite at the time. It seemed like it was just under the radar of like, uh, like the final fantasy, um, but I think as time went on, I think people look back at any of the, the Square developed RPGs as pretty much the gold standard, especially during that uh, 16-bit and maybe even into the 32-bit era. Yeah, and it was a little later in the life cycle. It was uh, the end of 95 it came out. Um, and I remember being a, just a, a kid who just started uh, selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. And it was like it was like $100 here in Canada for that beefy cartridge. Uh, but I paid for it myself and I was super happy to do it. The, uh, you mentioned the the sprites, and I do think probably the 16-bit era, I guess some of the 32-bit, if uh, you know, if it was 2D, it's kind of like the, the cutoff where it doesn't it doesn't age necessarily. Like you look back and it's more or less the way you remember it to an extent. Some of the middle ground between then and more modern systems, like you know, unfortunately, things like the Nintendo 64, the PlayStation 1, a lot of those games, if you go back now, they look really, really rough. You know, those early generation 3D and, and polygon games. But the, the 2D games, the sprite, the sprite work is, it just lasts. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, if anything, it, it gives you like that, a different, like a nostalgic feel, but it's not, it's never ugly. Well, I shouldn't say never, but it's, Mostly, you know, we've done well. It's it it just holds up even today. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I remember when PlayStation One and Nintendo sixty four were out, and uh, me and a friend we were arguing about sprites versus polygons. And I think I was uh, standing up for polygon graphics at the time. And he very plainly said, "He's like, well, sprites look better than polygons. They're just not three D." And that kind of blew my mind. I, I remember that to this day. Um, and randomly, that friend uh, makes video games for a living now, which is kind of cool. Uh, and he's working on a video game adaptation of one of my games, which is kind of neat. But it's not public <sighs> yet, so shh. Yeah. Don't worry, no you one listens. Yeah, you didn't oh. hear it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, Adam, uh, what do you got to follow up that? Um, I, I'm actually surprised I haven't heard it yet, and I I'm, I'm I'm wondering now if it's even going to be on anybody's list, and I'd be surprised. But um, cool spot, no. <laughs> okay, Earthworm Jim. Oh yeah, that's a good choice. That was just fun. It was so different. The story was completely random and out there. Nothing. We had nothing like that in a video game story like this. A spacesuit on an earthworm, and all of a sudden now he's a superhero. They didn't even bother with the princess. Princess, what her name? Like I love it. They didn't even bother giving her a name. You, your nemesis was Psycho. Like you're, you know, and you had the the game went between. Like you had all the functionality of whipping your head out as a as a as the worm to use like a lasso, buy a commando type deal. Your gun, 
you know, I love shooting that gun. And you weren't even 100% sure where you were shooting until the target was being hit because it didn't trace the bullets across. Like you didn't have that trail. So you had to kind of aim it. You know, the the sound, the, the music, it was all great. I loved, loved listening to it. You had the typical water level, you know, the typical like, you know, um, fire lava level, but it was actually like hell in a science center. And like, it was just, it was so different, and weird in terms of uh, story, but it was fun. And it was just, nothing else was like it. Um, and I, I'm definitely specifying Earthworm Jim 1, because I don't really <laughs> remember 2 that well. And I don't remember what the difference maker was. I think there was some uh, weapon upgrades and stuff, but 1 just worked because it was so different at the time. It was so fun and replayable. It was a hard game. It was it got really hard. Like you get through the first few levels, you could do the first few, and then it got like next generation hard. And so you really had to to work your ass off to get through. It, it was slightly frustrating, but I mean, find me another game that that started with launching a cow off a catapult yeah. <laughs> into you know like it was just such cool crazy shit for a game. And it was it was so different looking at the time too. It was like the first. It just had a different feel and look to it. Um, it was super fun. I, 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 I was flipping between this and Super Metroid, and and I gave Earthworm Jim the space actually. Okay, yeah, and the the animation was really good in Earthworm Jim. It was like uh, it was like Disney cartoon quality, if I remember. Like it, yeah, was, it and, was in that world. But the look of that, like it was definitely that animation style. It, it was similar to like Aladdin because Aladdin was a very clean, good looking game for Super Nintendo. Um, and so it had the same feel, but the control was so good. It was so tight um, in terms of the function of what you were doing and the amount of interaction you got to have on a, a side scroller that also had a, a different view when you were riding your rocket and stuff. But the fact was, it, I thought the control was tight, very, very tight for something that during Super Nintendo, you, sometimes you had those games that looked really good, but the control was so sloppy. Like it wasn't defined. You're all over the place and it was it was hard to get things pulled off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just really enjoyed this game. I really did. There's a lot of unique titles, you know, in, in retrospect, there was definitely, you know, like Matt said, over 1700 titles, there was a lot to, to pick from. Um, but it's interesting what sticks, right? Yeah, I definitely had this on my uh, honorable mentions as well, because I, I did own this game. And I, I agree with everything. I, I don't know if I know this as fact, or if this is just in my head as just some bullshit story. But I do think you mentioned the Aladdin game, and, and for some reason, I have a feeling the people or some of the people that worked on, that animated that game did go on to start the company that did Earthworm Jim, because I do think there was some sort of connection with that that animation for sure. And then we got the the cartoon, the Earthworm Jim cartoon. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, you're right. I totally forgot about oh, that. Wow. It yeah. was on a it was on a block of cartoons. It was that um, and uh, Freakazoid, I think. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, no, Earthworm Jim's great. And, and just like you, I don't think I ever played the, the sequel. I only played the first one. All right, so me, then you say, okay. I apparently, well, I had I had a brother. That's probably why my games have co-op and, and a lot of them. Uh, my number three, again, I'm not a sports guy, and I wasn't a sports kid. I did that mandatory one year of hockey, one year of baseball, one year of ball hockey. Try everything once. Uh, but NHL 94 yeah. was yeah. a game that, again, I mean, we we grew up, or 
Adam and I, for the most part, well, I guess Cobra too, when you, when you were there, we grew up in hockey towns. I mean, hockey was what most kids did, or you were, you know, either we, you worked at the arena or what have you. So hockey was all around. So the NHL series of games was always popular amongst, uh, you know, the, the kids in the area. And I remember playing NHLPA 93. I think we had it at the store to rent. But 94 just seemed to get everything kind of lined up perfectly. And from there, they kind of went forward. Uh, it was, you know, you had the licensed players uh, with the real names. You had really awful digitized photos of the players. But, I mean, it was cool because, look, I recognized Doug Gilmore or Wendell Clark. Um, it had the one-timer shot, which was super cheap and super effective. Uh, if you were bad at the game, the very least you could do is just go around and uh, just speed burst into people and body check the entire team. Uh, so it had, you know, the big hits. And it was also one of the earlier games to pull off sort of the TV presentation of uh, of hockey. You know, uh, between periods and the beginning and the end, you had sort of like you had the commentators uh, talking about the game. You had the, the TV broadcast look with the scoreboard, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. It was... It was another one of those games that just seemed to be always around. Everybody had a copy of, if not 94, you know, maybe 90, 93. But yeah, I just, I remember having so many hours of, of that game and, you know, setting up tournaments and, and you know, trying to figure out who was the best at whatever. And, you know, somebody, some poor sucker would want to play as a team that was just awful in the game because that was their favorite team and they would just get trounced every time. And then you could do things where you could have co-op. You could do two players on the same team against the computer. So that was always fun too. Um, but yeah, for a guy who really didn't play sports, uh, NHL 94 was definitely a big part of my 16-bit uh, days for sure. Yeah, I'm not a big sports guy either, but I've always heard uh, just, just a lot of good things about NHL 94. And uh, like the controls were really tight and it was, you know, it, and I think it was re-released uh, pretty recently by EA is like a pre-order bonus. Yeah, I think they did like a throwback uh, thing where they they re-released it for sure cuz yeah, it's the one that they always talk about as like the the retro one that was, you know, the good one. Um, you know, we we played I mean, Adam and I played various versions of, of the NHL games throughout the years and but I think that one was definitely the one where it started as being a real put together game and and they they really got their their crap together. Cause I mean, before that you had, I mean, we talked about before uh, on the NES episode, you know, blades of steel and ice hockey and they're fun, but they're not really hockey. I guess ice hockey a little bit more than blades of steel, but this definitely, you know, with the, with the actual player names and, and the, the stats, I can't remember. Adam, do you remember if you could create a player in 94 or if that was a later, uh, uh, you could, I think you could shuffle teams around a little bit, but I I I love that you put this on here because it didn't make my list and it hurt me not to do it. But it just there's reasons it wasn't. But this game, you know, ninety three and ninety four. I don't want to blend them together because ninety four had better control. They took away the cheesy wraparound that you could do in ninety three, where you went behind the net, did a sharp turn, came back around, the goalie just was frozen to the post. So they fixed that for ninety four, but they gave you the one timer, so it was another cheesy thing, but um, we literally would play tournaments of this in Coburg where we would draw up a, a chart 
you had to pick a team and you had to play through everybody. And we'd bring over like five or six people to build an entire tournament that you did over the course of a weekend, playing like a best of three for each round. Um, I remember this vividly. It was it was a great game. And still to this date, I, I do play a lot of sport games. Um, I love sport games, sports games in the, on the systems and consoles. And I tell you, this still ranks up there when I'm talking sports games. It's uh, It's got to be you know, right at the top of the list of something that I would always say was a strong influence for me to always embrace sports games and give them a shot, and particularly hockey. I think this was, for me, not having a sport background as a young person and not um, having anyone around me really care about sports, this actually was my gateway to hockey. Um, This was what got me interested in hockey. So yeah, great game. Great game. I I think it was also the time in my life where I was trying to, my, my parents were diehard Maple Leaf fans. So that, I think that was the time in my life where I was trying to like connect with them and like, Oh, I know the Maple Leafs from the video game. I don't know anything about them in real life, but I think that there was a little bit of that uh, as well. But again, just being in a hockey town, it was a huge, uh, huge game for sure. Uh, Okay. Where are we at? Jason? Yeah. uh, Okay. Uh, My number two slot is uh, the legend of Zelda A link to the past. Um, never heard of it. Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's another game I would describe as a perfect game. It is, uh, it's got the perfect world for Zelda. It, the super Nintendo allowed the original NES legend of Zelda to just have the improvements that it seemed like it always wanted to do. Um, you know, the, the sprites were bigger, you know, it was, it was more colorful. You could do more things. There were more dungeons, uh, everything was just so much more clear. There was less guesswork about where to go. Uh, it had great secrets. Uh, it had a sense of humor. Uh, the controls were tight. Uh, it did. It had a. It, it told the story in a way where you were never really bonked over the head with exposition. Um, it was always gameplay first, but it also had a great story. Uh, you know, there were some big beats, and uh, you know betrayals and you know things that happen that are that are super exciting and one of my favorite uh final boss battles of all time uh not that much of a spoiler it's ganon but it's it's my favorite version of ganon yeah and i had a i had a friend loan me that game one summer when i i think it was like 10 or 11 and uh you know i I couldn't afford it at the time and he went away for two weeks and loaned me the game and i i played it i don't know just 18 hours a day for two weeks uh and i you know i was stuck in this one part for several days but then i i got past it and beat the game within 24 hours like i just i plowed through it i had so much fun with it um and then you know playing it as i like i'll still play through that game about once a year because you can beat that game in like a full day um and it's just fun to go through and just see what i still have memorized and just yeah it's it's an absolute blast so until Breath of the Wild, I would have said strongly that it was still the best Legend of Zelda. Um, I, I know there are a lot of Ocarina of Time people that would disagree with me on that, but uh, I, I think A Link to the Past is uh, uh, the, the best Zelda game in uh, the best traditional Zelda game. And I, I would say Breath of the Wild, you know, it, it changes the franchise, but you, you could definitely make a strong argument that that's the best one now. But uh, yeah, for Super Nintendo, yeah, A Link to the Past is, uh, it could have easily been my number one, but uh, yeah, it, it had to be a, a grudging number two. 
I, I'm not at all surprised that this showed up somewhere because I think we had both Zelda one and two on the NES list uh, between the three of us when we did that. So this absolutely makes sense. It's it, it was one of my honorable mentions, uh, and it's I think again it, it goes with that 16-bit era of just it's it's still good to look at and to to you know the sound is still good the the graphics the animation it still it still holds up it still it doesn't it didn't age poorly in any way really even the controls are are really well and if especially if you enjoyed that top down uh version of Zelda this is your peak this is this is the you know probably i guess what was the one that they just released that was originally on um was it on Game Boy uh Link's Awakening Oh yeah, yeah. They one. they just re-released that one for uh, for Switch. Yeah, they did like a uh, a fancy color version and everything. Yeah, that yeah. that was uh, yeah that was heavily influenced from a Link to the Past. That's also a great game. That that one's a little you know kookier and weirder, but that's okay. It's uh, yeah, it, it doesn't uh, quite have the scale of a Link to the Past, but you know for for a game that came out on Game Boy, yeah, it, it's held up really well. Adam has been suspiciously quiet. Well, because this is my number one game. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> What's your number we, two? We, you, you can. It, it's worth hearing two different people just rant about yeah. how good it is. No, I know. Oh, yeah. I know. It's. It's. I loved it. I loved listening to all of it. I was taking it all in. So I'll, I will get to that in a minute. But uh, all right. Yeah. What do you got at number two? Uh this was actually. Um, I don't know why it got harder because it's like instead of bumping down the list, it was either you made it in the slot or you made it off the list. It's, I don't know why, but it just had this hierarchy list. Um, it's like you made the team at, in your position, or we realize that we're not, you're not there yet, so we put you on the B team, but we're not going to let you play another position on the A team. And that's exactly how this list got made. Well, um, for a lot. Yeah, and so this was it. it this was a fifty-fifty um, toss-up because I feel like I feel like that we're going to hear the other game. So. I'm going to go with the one that maybe was a little less popular, but I think it was the head-to-head competition for the one that's probably going to be on at least one of your two lists. And so I'm going to put up F-Zero. Oh. Yeah. And so I think instantly, I think listeners in that, if you're, if you're in tune with Super Nintendo, you know what the competitive title was to that in terms of racing games. But I'm going to go with F-Zero because it was fast. It was the first racing game that actually felt fast on a console. And so it had an impact to you. And yeah, it was limited with the number of vehicles, uh, but the tracks were were like wide and sweeping and it was futuristic and the car, it was floating, like your, your pod was floating. It, it had all these neat features to it. It was a unique title. And you still look back, I mean, okay, it only sold 3 million copies, which was quite a bit. But in comparison to the games that it was competing against in the racing genre for Super Nintendo, that is not anywhere near a large number of, of titles sold because the big one um, had you know like, what, over 10 million copies. Um, but F Zero just it had the speed function to it. I liked the look of it. It was crisp. It was clean. Um, it used, if I remember correctly, it used that uh, what was it, the Mode Seven chip or whatever. Um, oh, absolutely. It really pushed yeah. the barrier, the boundaries of that chip. Yeah, and so it was just, I really enjoyed that game in the sense of, of you really, when you sat in to race, you sat in to race. Like it was, you buckled up to race. And that was uh, the first time I really experienced that on a console. Other games did it better and eventually as consoles advanced, but, you know, that was the start of that. That, that For me, it made me appreciate racing games and 
there's not a lot of games I like in the racing world, and that one still holds up really high. And I just there's a lot of hours spent with the passing controller, as Jason's referred to it, um, with that title. I, I certainly I can remember some tracks in my head as I'm talking about it. So yeah, that one that one ended up taking the number two spot. And the music was amazing. It's still got some of the best Nintendo that, yeah. tunes ever. Yeah. 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 Oh, good yeah. point. Very, very good point. Yeah, I, I had F Zero on my honorable mentions. I was actually I broke this one out the other night too. And yeah, the music was great. The other thing that really blew me away is how far into the distance you can see of the tracks, which is something later on, like with the Nintendo 64 was just a nightmare. You you know, that the fog of the 64. Um, the graphics in that game were fantastic. I think if I remember correctly, F-Zero started out as, a, I think, a tech demo for the Mode 7 graphics, and they just built it out. But I mean, you could argue that kind of started a whole genre. I mean, you look at games like Wipeout, uh, any of the futuristic, super fast, like, um, you know, future pod kind of racing is very much kind of started in the F-Zero type game. I think the only thing that really detracts F-Zero is that it was a single player only. And maybe if you got stuck bumping off those walls, certain tracks could get kind of frustrating with that. But yeah, the oh, you could get fant- you could get mad in this racing game, yeah, because oh, yeah. you hit you hit some walls, you're done, like you're not recovering, <laughs> and and it did have limited game modes, which was kind of crappy. Like you had the Grand Prix and you had practice, mm-hmm. that was it. <laughs> so it's, was, it sucked that way. Yeah, I thought it was weird that when Sega was hammering Nintendo with the advertising, and they were always pushing like, oh, you know, Sega's so much faster, and you know, look how fast Sonic the Hedgehog is, and like how much faster he is than Mario. I feel like F-Zero would have been a perfect game to counter that because that game, like you said, it, it's super fast. Like it, it has the, I mean, it, I guess it's a, an illusion of speed, but it certainly, you know, it, it would, it would have definitely been a good one to compare the two for sure. For speed wise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My number two, I don't know. Now I feel like this is just a cop out. Uh, Super Mario World. Yeah, not a cop out at all. It's not a cop out at all. I couldn't, I couldn't not put this on my list. I mean, yes, it was the packing game for most people, but this game, much like Mario Three, was the peak uh, Mario for the NES. And yes, Yoshi's Island is probably technically a better game. But it's not a Mario game per se. So if we're focusing strictly on, on on the Mario and the Mario story, this I think is peak 2D Super Mario until I guess maybe if you get into some of these the newer ones where they went back to the 2D kind of look to it. But I mean, this game had so many levels and great use of the Mode Seven graphics with the the zooming in and out kind of thing and the the way it would like rotate the camera on certain aspects of the levels. Um, just the the different types of levels, the ghost houses and the castles, and the the much like Mario Three, where, where each map had its own theme. There was um, uh, new new power ups that that we didn't have before. That just the the cape was a was a perfect evolution of the uh, of the raccoon uh, suit that the flying, being able to use it to glide down slowly or use it to kind of. I don't even know how you describe it. You just sort of, 
I, I want to make the sound because that's all I can think of. It's just sort of like whomping your way across the, the screen. But this this game was it was it was a perfect it, it maybe didn't show exactly what the Super Nintendo could do uh, to its fullest, but it was an early game. But I think it it definitely said, you know, this is this is what we can do compared to your Mario three. Look, look at the jump we can make. And it was it was a huge jump. man. And, and and then we got Yoshi. We got Yoshi in Super Mario World, the various uh, powers with Yoshi and all that. And obviously he uh, went on to be a very popular character. Uh, star of, uh, of the uh, Mario Brothers movie, if I remember correctly. Anyways, uh, yeah, Nintendo could do no wrong, apparently, at that time. But yeah, Super Mario World, I think, uh, be it one player or two player, it was it was near perfect for, for a platformer. It was very hard to... I mean, I think they definitely set the bar for all platformers to, to try to, to, to get to after that. Yeah, and uh, even the title Super Mario World isn't just some throwaway title. Like, the actual map screen, like, the world that they built, uh, like, there hasn't been a better world of Mario since. Like, they've had map screens to get to the next level since, but not nothing close to that. Like, that design is amazing. Like, the, the choice of theme in each world, you know, the progression of how you kind of go around and then you end up in the middle, and, uh, you know, the Star World. Yeah, there's so many great things about it. That is uh, no, that is a great choice. No, I, I'm with you a thousand percent, and and quite frankly, it's still for me, it's my number one Mario title of all time. I and I, I have to admit, like I faded off with Nintendo, so there might have been some some stuff that's come out since then that maybe, you know, I think my last Mario title I ever played was Paper Mario, so that's kind of where I started to fall off. Mm-hmm. But uh, I loved this more than the, the Mario RPG, which was a, a, a for some people was a they preferred that title, uh, but no, I'm with you a thousand percent. This is this is the one. If I'm going to someone's never played Super Nintendo before, this is probably the game I'm putting in for them to try. I, I think definitely, like if you're to look back at like great examples of like a 2D platformer, you'd be it'd just be dumb not to include that near the top of the list for sure. It's so smooth. Like the gameplay in that was so smooth with so much color and, and it was a beautiful looking game and it was the control and the flow of the game was always smooth. You never had anything that was even remotely glitchy or sketchy or it was, it was back to what like Jason said, like you did something wrong. It was your fault. You didn't blame the game. This was a hundred percent. You needed to, to capitalize off of it, but it had this, it had an air to it that although you knew what was coming through the levels, there still was always that little bit of unpredictability that every time, although it's sequential, you know, what's coming, how you trans, uh, you know, travel through and transverse through it. Um, you know, you had to find that rhythm. You had to have the flow. You had to be in the zone. And if you were edgy and if you were frustrated, you, you couldn't do it. You would screw things up and you knew it. And you, this was a game that could teach you to take a break for a minute too to put a controller down for a second because you needed to be, you needed to be in that space. Right. Yeah. This was, that was a good pick, man. That was a really good pick. All right. We are down to the official unofficial number one picks here. And we'll go with our guest, Jason, what do you got for your last pick? All right. I can safely say this is officially my favorite uh, super Nintendo game of all time. Uh, probably my favorite video game of all time. Actually. Uh, Final fantasy six originally released as final fantasy three. Um, 
It's it's the gold standard for Final Fantasy games, and immediately I'm going to make people angry because everyone knows that Final Fantasy VII is the favorite. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to win any new fans with this, but it's like Final Fantasy VII was a great game, but it was heavily riding off the coattails of Final Fantasy VI. So here are the good things. Here, Okay, first of all, it, it does everything right. Everything is, uh, I don't want to say perfect. There's definitely a few glitches, but it's such a big sprawling game, it doesn't even matter. Uh, so first of all, there's 17 well-developed characters that all have great arcs and all have interesting things that they do. Uh, they're all very different. Um, they, they all have different special abilities. And there's no main character with this game. So there's a first character that you run into, but there's no, you know, Cloud and there's no, you know, Chrono. You know, there's no generic, you know, scrappy young 17-year-old JRPG hero in it. Um, so all the characters are really interesting. Uh, the first half of the game, you've got some flexibility with who you're using, but the second half of the game, uh, you know, don't want to spoil anything, but there's a big plot twist. And then all of a sudden you've got a lot more freedom than you have, than you had before. So it's, uh, yeah, it's structurally, it's a really interesting game. Uh, you know, your first playthrough is probably going to be, you know, 50 or 60 hours at least. And it's going to be a fun 50 or 60 hours with no filler. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't think they've made a better video game role-playing game since Final Fantasy VI. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, Witcher 3 is a, is a very wildly different game. But when I think of role-playing games, that's the, the first thing that could even attempt to dethrone this uh, as what I think is the best. Um, you know, it's got an incredible end boss fight that, uh, you know, it it, uh, it does a great take on you know, the JRPG start off as a, you know, someone that's really weak. And by the end of the game, you and your party are trying to kill God. Um, so it uh, it does that very well. Um, it's also really funny. There's some really great moments of levity, but that doesn't change all the dramatic beats that work in the game. There's a lot of moments where you're looking at these sprites and, uh, you know, you might be holding back real tears. Um and then on the topic of, of graphics, the the way the sprites are done, I think it required like some new kind of uh, chip at the time. It had like something extra. I think it was, uh, I think Chrono Trigger had something like it too, but it was like a bigger version. Um, so it had some new technology in there too that other Super Nintendo games didn't quite have. Uh, but the the sprites in the game, it's it's a look that I've never seen any other game look like. I'm not sure if it's the color palette or what it is, but it's uh, it's got a really unique look to it. Uh, but it's still very much Final Fantasy. It's still got the fight magic, you know, item menus. Uh, it invented the the real-time kind of system. So it's like, uh, you know, okay, in eight seconds, it'll be, you know, Shadow's turn or Terra's turn or whoever the next character is, uh, which Final Fantasy VII used and, you know, did a great job with. And again, I like Final Fantasy VII. It's a great game. But I will always say that Final Fantasy VI is better. Um, Final Fantasy VII... I'm going to go out of the limb here. I'm going to say suffers from early PlayStation one polygon graphics. It has not aged well uh, in the visuals department, like final fantasy six has. Uh, there's also a final fantasy seven remake, which is great, but that's basically an entirely new game. And it's a uh, kind of a different thing. Um, so yeah, final fantasy six, um, you know, like in Canada, it was, you know, it was a hundred dollars at the time. And the amount of gameplay you could get out of that was just unbelievable. Totally worth it. Um, I remember getting a used copy for like 60 bucks. I just traded in a whole bunch of games 
And, uh, you know, I played Final Fantasy 2, also known as Final Fantasy 4, and loved that. That almost made my list. Um, That that does a really good job of being more traditional, kind of a sword and sorcery RPG. But Final Fantasy 6 just takes it to a whole new level with the the character complexity and just just the ease of how everything works in it. Uh, It's also very challenging. It can be a hard game, but never so much that, you know, you're cursing the game itself. Uh, It's something where you want to keep trying at difficult bosses. Um, there's so much freedom. You can go, you know, there's a lot of moments where you can go anywhere in the world. You know, it's got airships and it's got all kinds of other things. Uh, and again, I don't want to give too many spoilers. Um, so yeah, that, that's my recommendation. It's my favorite Super Nintendo game of all time. And probably if I was on a desert island and could only have one game, it would be Final Fantasy VI. Uh, this is probably a dumb question. Do you go back and play it often? Absolutely, I do. Uh, I have a five-year-old son and like maybe a year ago when he was four, I just had a throwaway line where and he's like, dad, what's your favorite video game? And then I just kind of took a breath and paused and really thought about it. And I'm like, Final Fantasy VI. And then, you know, we didn't really talk more about it. But then like a year later, you know, as kids are, he's like, dad, can we play your favorite game of all time? Final Fantasy VI? <laughs> I was like, yes. So we started playing it and he had a lot of fun watching me play it. He can't quite read yet, but I'm sure when he does, he'll have a blast playing it too. Sweet. Now, maybe you can answer this because I, I never really, I, I was never a huge fan of the Final Fantasy. Not because I did, I had anything against it. I just never got into it because I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't really own any of the Final Fantasies till much later. Um, but what's the story with the the numbering conventions? Is that a did they not release some in North America and they carried on in Japan or like why? As I knew that with with three, it wasn't actually three in Japan. It was like you said, six. I think, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. So the, uh, the the original Final Fantasy two in Japan uh, is known for not being very good. So we didn't get that here. And then Final Fantasy three in Japan uh, was much better, but we also didn't get that here. So um, what we have as Final Fantasy two was Final Fantasy four. Uh, Final Fantasy five is pretty good, but we never we didn't get that right away. Uh, we eventually got a re-release on PlayStation. Um, but then, yeah, when Final Fantasy VI came here, there had been two prior Final Fantasies, so it was renamed Final Fantasy III. Okay. Uh, Adam, did you play any of the Final Fantasies? No, that's why I was st- sitting back taking it in. Again, that never... I didn't embrace RPGs until basically the PC. That's when I mm-hmm. started really embracing RPGs. And so I, I missed that entire that entire um series with final fantasy and i and i honestly hold like a sense of regret that i haven't even gone down that road yet and i think you've sold me to completely go for it yeah yeah uh, report back to me if uh, if you end up playing it let me know what you think oh i will absolutely and I, I think i will i think we'll take take that on because an rpg i this i'm more story driven now like some of my favorite con- like PC games, you know, are in Mass Effect, like stuff like that. So it's, I like the idea. It's a little bit different of a, of a obviously look of everything, but I want to give it a go. I want to give it a go. There's a, like millions of people are diehard Final Fantasy fans for a reason. So yeah, and, and there's definitely bad Final Fantasy games. I would say don't play. But yeah, six is uh, that'll give you the best sense of why there's such a diehard fan base behind Final Fantasy. Yeah, I I think too like like you mentioned with the PC um role playing games if you were a PC role playing game player it's a different animal like especially at that time 
the 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 RPGs on PC in the early '90s were way more stats heavy, or unless you went like the Diablo route, where it was more of an action um, RPG. We didn't you, you didn't have that Final Fantasy Chrono Trigger um, style so much on the PC. That was definitely more of a Japanese console uh, uh, method. So yeah, if you were more focused on the PC, which um, when I was looking at my list and I was trying to think why, when I look back at the history of video games for me, this era has a pretty big hole in it. I, I didn't seem to play a lot of uh, of Super Nintendo and I couldn't figure out why up until about yesterday. And I thought, well, you know, it couldn't be that I became some social butterfly and, you know, wasn't playing video games because that didn't happen. Uh, what actually happened was the opposite because around the time that the Super Nintendo came out, I got my first computer. And because I was also at the age where I was starting to have to buy my own games, you know, splitting my money between Super Nintendo and computer, it tended to go towards the computer. And I, I look back at that time, I played a lot of PC games in the early to mid 90s. And I think that took a lot of my time away from from the Super Nintendo. So I think that's why I had such a hard time with uh, with this list. Now we know what uh, we, we know what your number one is, Adam. But do fill us in. Why is it your number one? Honestly, like le- the Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past is for me. It, it is my Zelda game. It is it is the game for the Legend of Zelda. I did enjoy some other versions, like the other stuff that came later. I never played Breath of the Wild, so I don't have that to to go against to compare. But I still think it would be a hard struggle um, in terms of. Like I remember, I remember putting all the hours in for Arcania of or or Arcania of Time. I always say that wrong. Um, Sorry, you still uh, have, but it's okay. Yeah, but I remember, <laughs> I remember that being a big deal too at the time. But I still didn't. To me, didn't hold a candle to to Link to the Past. Just it took Zelda at the time that I I, I loved it so much on NES. I love both of them, um, but I, I, I was more. Uh, I was more drawn to the original Zelda with the the, the top down view, so mm-hmm. this took the top down to the next level, um, which made it so much more fun. Again, the play, the control, the story, the the just there was so many elements of this game that was so fun, and the replayability, like what Jason was saying, like you can just you can sit down and play this game all the way through. And although you are doing something that you recognize in sequence, there's just a celebration of doing that sequence. I, I don't know how to articulate the joy of playing this game and just the little things it's still fun to upgrade your sword it's still cool to do that like it was that once that sword changed color and you're swinging it out the same way like a million times and it makes a different uh, sound too yeah it was so, <laughs> i love it was that so, sound oh. it was so empowering right for your sword to all of a sudden have a new look and i mean i don't know i just honestly the the that goes down as probably one of my favorite video games that i've ever played it, it at, at all and it's in my top you know if i'm going to do a top list of all games i've ever played it, it's sitting in the top echelon five three probably of every game i've ever played it was the first game i ever bought an entire walkthrough guide i remember getting it from zellers and buying the entire and i mean how beautiful that book was um i, I got it had to be like 60 70 pages long it was like an entire catalog it, but it walks you through the entire game, which I had already beat. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, but I there, still wanted I still there, wanted there were that so many guide. great secrets though. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. had played through that game over and over and over again, and I eventually got a Nintendo Power uh player's guide for Link to the Past. And I I, I remember just being in disbelief. I couldn't believe <laughs> That there were still more things I didn't know about. Oh, blowing like, up the, the, the oh. cave, like blowing up mountain sides, and all of a sudden there's a cave, and it was a whole oh. other thing that you didn't even know existed. Like I can remember some of those now. And but I, honestly, and this was a game where, you know, I was on my number one. I was putting another game against this, and you know, Super Mario World was probably going to be fighting this. And so, Super Mario World is on my B team. It's my number one on my B team. But it, it didn't get to go to number two. It was either you're either in the one spot or you're not. And those two games, you know, I think have lots of merit to, to, to put them up against each other. But just I'm drawn to the the Zelda franchise, like kind of how you articulated Final Fantasy. That's exactly how I feel about uh, the Zelda franchise. I just I, I'm, you know, I was happy to celebrate recently the 30 years of Zelda. Like it's just I loved that franchise, yeah. that story. It was it was it totally captivated me. It was you know even my movie picks as a as a person i've always liked the fantasy um adventure of the the 16 17 year old who has to now make their way in the world and solve a challenge because everything just collapsed like i, I just it all worked it always it was always a thing that appealed to me and zelda would just encapsulated that beautifully and this game i think just did it best by far all right good pick i can't uh, i can't argue as i said i i had that on my honorable mentions i never really got too deep into it when i was a kid but uh I, I realized later on, like playing through, you know, playing the game on emulators that I missed out. And I definitely uh, I made it my mission to acquire a, a, a copy of that game much later in my life. Uh, so I do have it now and uh, I'm happy to have it. It's uh, yeah. And you know what? Look, Ocarina of Time is great. But again, if you go back and look at it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good. I'm sorry. Like it's. There's things about that game that are hard to play now because it was such a weird wedge system time frame, like between the the 2D and, and the more modern systems. Whereas I feel like you can pick up a link to the past anytime, and you don't have that uh, that stumbling block of uh, the visuals and, and the camera uh, being a problem, and yeah. you know some of the controls. I think I don't know. I think you're. I, I think. For most diehard uh, Nintendo fans and Zelda fans, I think A Link to the Past is probably uh, way up there. I think for a long time, because of what game it was in, in their time frame, Ocarina of Time was the number one for a lot of people. But I think that probably they've come around a little bit uh, to seeing the, the benefits of A Link to the Past for sure. Yeah, and I think... Um... Similar to Final Fantasy VI, like A Link to the Past created such a demand for the first 3D Zelda, you know, and, you know, the first 3D Final Fantasy, like that demand was there and there were so many people just from day one. And again, Ocarina and Final Fantasy VII, they both delivered. It's just, I think those games uh, have not stood the test of time in the same way. Um, I, I don't I don't know why Nintendo is re-releasing Skyward Sword before they're doing a graphical remake of Ocarina. Like, oh, like, like that could be... <laughs> A, a truly great game, but anyway, getting off topic a little bit. No, no, but, but it, it, it makes sense. So it, that shows the power of this franchise. So, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. I, and I, I think um, with both of you, um, for at least, um, definitely for Adam and for 
some of Jason's uh, childhood being uh, an only child, th- th- that kind of a game seems perfect, like the perfect time sink, you know, like I think you could sink so much time in, in playing that and, and not get bored. It's not like, um, yeah, you're, you're like, like so, you just... you're like sinking so much time. I remember starting on a Saturday and then realizing it's Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number one game has already been more or less referenced by uh, without name, but it has been referenced by Adam, I think, uh, a couple times. Uh, and that is Super Mario Kart. Oh, yeah. yep, that yeah. was yep, yeah. Uh, that was that was one of my honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. Super Mario Kart is one of those games where it seemed to be played long after the Super Nintendo wasn't the. The, you know the the main console they'd moved on you still had people playing super mario kart super mario kart was a game that you could get your parents to play you could get people that didn't play video games to play because it was deceptively easy to get into it was colorful it was um you know the idea behind it was was easy it's just racing but you know then you you add in like the the items and the shortcuts and the, and just a lot of the, you know, the little hopping and, and things like that. And I think it, it added that layer to it from being just a, you know, simple racing game that wasn't overly fast, obviously, but um, I, just everything about it was always fun. It never lost its fun to me. Like I could always go back and pick it up and play it. And it was always a blast. And again, it was another game, I think like, uh, like NHL and some of these other ones where, you would get people that would just put tournaments together or, um, you know, just play through the championships over and over again. I mean, Christ, we had that in the student council room at the high school and it was several years after the super Nintendo wasn't even like, I think we were into the N64 at that point. Uh, and we would play that before school, play it on lunch. Uh, I mean, I knew people that played Mario Kart in college again, long after the system had passed its its mark but it was just that kind of a game that you could easily get people if if somebody came in and saw you were playing mario kart they would want to join or you know you could get people to play so easily uh it's it's a pretty balanced game although notorious the rubber banding with uh the cpu players where you could never really get that far ahead of them but i do think that kind of added some of that tension to it as well which was kind of nice and then, you know, it brought all the familiar characters that you knew from the, the Mario universe. And then, you know, also Donkey Kong, who at that time uh, hadn't really had his own game since, you know, the arcade. Uh, Donkey Kong Country hadn't come out yet. The track designs w- was, you know, they were all great. Sure, they were relatively limited in that they were, you know, they were flat. There was no elevation that would come later. But I just, I don't know, man. Super Mario Kart is a game... And I'm not alone, obviously. This is a, a pretty well-ranked game and, and pretty pricey if you go out and find a copy of it now. I just, I don't know. I think they, I mean, they obviously they, they maybe didn't start a genre, but they certainly perfected it. And again, so many games came out after it that took that formula and applied it to their own uh, characters or, you know, th- their own theme. But it was Mario Kart, but as you know, Crash Bandicoot or as uh, Sonic and the Sega characters. It was, it was a formula that was used over and over again after that. 
I don't think there's a bad Mario Kart game completely. There are ones that are better than others, but it, it all starts with the Super Nintendo one. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's one I couldn't, I, when I, when this list was being talked about, it it pretty much went number one for me right away. See, I, I, I agree on a lot of what you said. Um, I think as an only child, that was the kicker. Like you kind of alluded to that. So for Zelda... The, that had a special home and place for taking up my time, my console. But mm-hmm. I do agree that this Mario Kart was the game that even if you went, when you went to the next system, you didn't unplug or put away your Super Nintendo because you still wanted to touch this game. If you had people coming over, this was the game you would play, even though you were playing 64 or you're making your way up through, you could still go back to this one. And even with Mario Kart 64, the, the original title, there was still a, a home for this to play. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just I, I agree with you. And it, it, it was certainly to be fair, I didn't put it on the list. Like I, I went through the F-Zero conversations. I think it had a bigger impact for me, um, mm-hmm. but then I couldn't place it anywhere else. And I had faith that one of you was going to put this on your list because it was just such a big title. Right. And like over 10 million game sold. I think it was one of the higher selling games uh, up there with the, the system. So, yeah. Yeah, and awesome. it, it single-handedly invented uh, you know, the kart racing genre. Uh, but at the time, it was it was a pretty silly idea, I remember because I had Nintendo Power Magazine and I remember seeing like, Mario Kart? What? It's like, that's not a Mario game. You're not running and jumping. Um, but then, yeah, eventually I ended up with the game and uh, I absolutely loved it. The one player and the two player it had split screen which I think was new at the time. I don't think there was a console game that had uh, done split screen before that. Um, yeah, there, there. if there was, there wasn't many, and there certainly wasn't many that did it anywhere nearly as well as that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, And, and you're right. There, there aren't any bad Mario Kart games. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, it spawned... Uh, Nintendo knows what they're doing, because when they come out with a Mario Kart game, people can trust that it's going to be good. That's why it takes so long between entries. Well, surprisingly, we only had, I think Zelda was the only game that came up uh, on more than one list. Unless I'm missing something. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I think, I think there was so many titles and I think Mm -hmm. there was, and the system was around for so long that you, you were able to develop and based on our age too, right? Like, so we, this system was in our prime, right? This is showing up when we're roughly 10, right? Around the 10, 11 range. And so we're we're pretty invested in the games and it lasted into our teenage years as we started pursuing systems of our own. So, you know, deeper diving into those systems. So it was uh, a form, formative years of video game. We had expectations. So you, ha- you were able to critique a little bit cleaner. Not everything has a nostalgic memory because you could also, there's lots of junk titles too. Um, and you could, you could get tired of a game. You were, you had expectations. So a game, Although fun, you could be like, yep, I'm good. Like none of us talked about Super Double Dragon. Like there's lots of games. Like we can go through thousands of games that people are traditional titles of Nintendo, but they didn't come anywhere near the top of the pile. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, other titles, did you guys have any uh, honorable mentions that didn't quite make the list that hadn't been uh, said by anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like, yeah, I, I basically got five more here. It'll be tough not to talk about them, but I'll I'll try and keep it brief. Um, now I'll just plow through everything I have here. Uh, yeah, no problem. So, ones that almost made my top five: Donkey Kong Country, 
Um, you know, it's held up very well. It completely relaunched Donkey Kong, and those rendered graphics were just the shit at the time. Um, and it, it was also just really fun, and the music was amazing. Grant Kirkhope soundtrack, still one of my favorite video game soundtracks ever. The aquatic ambience theme. If uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll send you a 10 hour YouTube link. It's the best, <laughs> it's the best piece of video game music. Um, and I also put Mario Paint, which uh, was just it was such an innovative, weird thing. It had like the mouse, and you know you could paint things. You know it was a simple version of you know basically MS Paint, but you yeah. you could also make music, and you could also make animation. So I remember just being a kid and messing around with this. I'm like 10 or 11, and I'm making like. Mortal Kombat fatality animations. <laughs> like it was it was incredible. I only ever rented it, but you know, I, I just played through it multiple weekends. Um Secret of Mana is just a fantastic RPG, great graphics, music, characters, a lot of innovations there. Uh and you could play, you know, up to three players simultaneously. Uh at, which is uh yeah, it's it's still a great game. Final Fantasy 2, also known as Final Fantasy 4. Um you know, an incredible Final Fantasy game, a little more linear, a little more traditional, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of the purest of the Final Fantasy games in terms of, of theme before it tried to start uh, doing really different things. Um, and uh, and then Mario RPG, I'm a big fan of. And I actually played through that last summer with my son. I showed it to him once and he's obsessed with it. And so it's like, oh, okay, I got away with playing through this, you know, 50 hour RPG again. And it was uh, it was a great time. So yeah, those uh, those are my runners up. How about you, Adam? Well, some of my runner up, runners up were already on, like NHL '94, Super Mario World, Mario Kart, etc. Um, but I'll just talk about two titles. So one was Donkey Kong Country. I do agree that was amazing, amazing yes. game. Uh, so beautiful the control. I I was a real f- stickler on control. Like I liked the. I always think back to the response of the Super Nintendo. And just the accuracy, it just I always felt like it was a tight, clean system. And the games that were better at it than others, I just appreciated that. And I think it was probably, again, back to the time on Nintendo and my love of Mega Man. And when Mega Man wasn't tight on controls, I hated it. Um, that's why Mega Man 2 was such a big thing for me in the last uh, episode of review of Nintendo. Um, so anyways, that was there. Yeah, beautiful game. So fun. Um, and the other one was actually Uniracers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, and it was really interesting because that game actually got sued. Uh, Nintendo got Super Nintendo. Nintendo got sued by um, Pixar for really? likeness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it didn't have such a big run. It had a limited run. Mm. Uh, but the that game was fun. If you can get that on an emulator, um, just the, the, the flow of the game, it was super fast. You know, you're, the, the way the physics worked, you're always connected to the track or trying to be connected to the track. Gravity worked but didn't work. So you had to, you just, your response time of when gravity was being applied versus when it wasn't being applied, the way the tracks moved and like just, it was just fun. The replay, I, I got that game relatively early in my time of Nintendo and, and, and it just, you know, you could go look at the console. You'd be looking at your console, trying to think what game to play. And when in doubt, if you weren't putting Zelda back in for me, it was Uniracers went in. I put Uniracers in, played it, and it was like sometimes it was like the warm up game. Like you'd play that, get into it, and then maybe you felt like digging into something a little bit deeper. But it was a really, really fun game. Um, it, it had the the bouncy features to it, like the way your unicycle worked and the flow. And 
I don't know. I think there was a lot of good elements within the physics and controls. And I've kind of referenced a few times, like I'm a bit of a stickler on the control and like that linkage to feeling connected to the your your, your character and, and it's it's modeling and rendering and it's interaction on screen. So I think it's what made Uniracer so high of a game for me because it was just so it was so sensitive, but yet crisp and clean and just beautiful to play. And I can't remember the music to be honest with you, but it, it must have not drove me insane. <laughs> so no, but that that one uh, that one was way up there on the list. And, uh, and Super Ghost and Ghouls was another one I actually liked. Ooh, yeah, that not was a, good. I don't know how many people really liked that game, but I did like that game. Um, challenging. It was definitely challenging, but it wasn't as. Um, I remember the Nintendo version, which was virtually impossible. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, the Super Nintendo version was much more enjoyable that way. It was hard, um, but I did like it. I did like it. It just it wasn't enough to crack this list. You know, it was just a game that I like to bring up because I think some people remember it and uh, it had some likeness to it. It was kind of fun. I, I think you're the only one I knew that had that Uniracers game. And I remember... I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, it was it popped in my head, and I started looking around for it, and that's when I read about that lawsuit and how there wasn't that many copies out. So it's uh, it's not an easy one to find, but obviously you could probably find it on an emulator somewhere, I would imagine. Um, my honorable mentions. Let me just see here. I think most of them were talked about. I had Zelda, um, Turtles in Time, Earthworm Jim. F-Zero, Donkey Kong Country, Super Mario RPG. Um, Super Mario RPG for me was interesting because it it was probably the only Square uh, or Squaresoft, whatever they were at the time, uh, RPG that I actually finished. Um, probably because it did have a, a little easier entryway, I think. And plus it had characters that I was familiar with uh, already. So I think it was a little easier to get into maybe than some of the Final Fantasy games. Uh, but, uh, if I can interject, um, only yes. because I played through it recently, I will say if you've played Mario RPG, you can very easily jump into Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy IV, or any of those other style games you mentioned. Um, Sweet. Because it's, um, you know, maybe it's half a degree simpler, but the thing with Mario RPG is that it's it's pretty difficult. Like, it's a very grindy game and more so than uh, the other Square RPGs I mentioned earlier. Maybe it was just like the because it was familiar characters. Maybe that's what kind of got me uh, to plug through it more than uh, than the others. But that's okay. That's interesting to know. Yeah, it made it a really accessible jumping on point for that genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the only one that didn't get mentioned at all that I had on my honorable mention uh, list for me was uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which um, was a game I owned. Um, it didn't quite make my list, but it it was very. Very unique game, especially if you're into like the the classic uh, horror movies and stuff. There was every possible horror movie trope or sci-fi, even uh, from the the 50s and and 60s and 70s. Uh, you've got uh, basically you're a couple different kids, and you're it, it, I can't remember how many levels there were. There was like so many levels, but you're going through the neighborhood and you're just killing various monsters with like water guns and just silly weapons and stuff. But it was there was, you know, giant babies and there were zombies and there was guys that were coming through with chainsaws going through the hedges. And it was, um, one of the few, uh, I believe it was a LucasArts game, uh, that wasn't, you know, star Wars or Indiana Jones or, or one of their normal franchises. Uh, 
it was a good one, but uh, yeah, I couldn't quite crack the list, especially with like so many of these other games that, uh, now, that were mentioned. I have to comment, though. I'm surprised um, somewhat. I mean, our, our justifications and rationales, I should say, of our games. I mean, it's certainly these games were special to us. They, they hold a place and they still hold a place, actually, in our, our gaming activity now. But I'm really surprised on two particular titles that none of us talked, even even in uh, honorable mentions. And that would be Star Fox and Super Metroid. Yeah. I kind of touched on Super Metroid, but but I wasn't I didn't play enough of it. But if you look on the list of games and like if you look at the top 100 SAS list, if you're listening to this episode and you're trying to get your own memory going, those two games were quite high on like all of the reviews, all of the magazines, all of the sites, they, they put those games quite high. In fact, Super Metroid's on a, number one for a lot of lists. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I never played um, Super Metroid back in the day. I did play Star Fox. Um, I think my problem with that was mostly because, as I said earlier, I was playing a lot of PC games at the time. So things like X Wing or TIE Fighter um, were sort of doing it better now obviously you were on a more powerful hardware so i you know i respect what it was but i i think just at the time i was playing uh that kind of a, a game on, on a pc so i just never really got into much on the console yeah uh super metroid i played through once when i was a kid i, I remember buying it used with a guide and i definitely needed that guide to beat it um but it's like you know i, I guess castlevania symphony of the night is, is kind of popularized the term metroidvania um, but it's the perfect, you know, this is there, you need this to go here, then explore this way. And you, know, you can technically go anywhere, but there's all kinds of barriers where you need, you know, item X or item Y to get through it. Um, everything's really innovative and, and fun in terms of like progressing uh, your character and you keep getting stronger throughout the game. The graphics are amazing. And when you control Samus, it's got a real sense of weight. Mm. That, that's what I like best about it. You, you feel like like a badass and... When you're controlling it, you feel like what you're doing matters within that world. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely that. And I mean, some of the other things. I mean, t- takeaways when I was thinking about building our list, building the list, some things that stuck out in my mind, and not to draw attention to these titles and talk deeply on the games, but like any Disney game was done quite well on Super Nintendo. Like if you think about like Lion King, um, there was Aladdin, and. Uh, the one with Mickey when he you put the hats on, um, the magical quest that was it. Yeah, you put the hat. He changed the character, the firefighter and the magician and the whatever. Like the Disney games were just done well. Now they all looked the same. Like the the the, the art animation was the same, but but it was good. It looked like the cartoons that you're watching. It was high quality, good fun gameplay, fun stories. You know they had all the all the writing in the world they would possibly need to play with, so they had all the budget for that. So, anyways, there there was nice and clean. Like Super Nintendo had a lot a lot of good titles. I I think, which is interesting, is like we a lot of people can make a top five list, and I think we had lots of differences in our list, and you can have anyone's list and look at it and go, you know what, I can see why you made that list, and it makes me consider some of those titles, and I certainly would play them, you know. Yeah, there, there's certainly nothing in any of our lists. I don't think that stood out being like really like that. That was you know that was trash. Like everybody is going to have slightly different backgrounds, and much like we talked about on uh, our top five NES games, it, it, it depends on you know who you had to trade with, where you were renting, your you know what games were available to you. I think that plays a big part of it as well. 
Um, unless you're going back as an adult and playing the games, you know, that might uh, pop up some of the, the games as well. But certainly for, I think for, for us, in most cases, we're looking back at games when we played them at the time. And I think that really comes down to, except for some of the larger titles, it's going to be the games that we were able to get our hands on. And that varied depending on your situation. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Yeah. Well, I think we did it. I think we uh, we managed to get through. When this goes up, we'll put a list on the website of all of our uh, our picks. Certainly lots to uh, to go through. If you haven't played any of these games or you uh, I've written down a few that I'm going to go back and play because I haven't played them in a long time or I haven't played them at all. So hopefully maybe you've got some picks from our lists. But now, Jason, do you have um, anything you're, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you're working on, if you can talk about anything you're working on right now or anything you got coming up. Uh, yeah, as long as this goes up after March 2nd, I should have a Kickstarter going for Drinking Quest 6-pack. Uh, so it's the first six Drinking Quest games in one box, so it's half role-playing game and half drinking game. So it's a really simple RPG, but when your hero dies, you have to chug the remainder of your drink in real life to continue. And then uh, beyond that, it's just really funny because it's such a ridiculous premise. If you own the uh, first six games already, is there anything in that package that's going to be different or additional? Or is it mostly just a re- uh, like a fancier package with everything in, in one? Oh, box? yeah, yeah. There's, there's all kinds of changes. So I think... Uh, there's 300 yeah there's 328 unique cards uh there's gonna be about 30 brand new ones we're just replacing old cards that didn't gel for whatever reason uh yeah there's some some old meme jokes that maybe haven't aged well um so we we, we've kept in a lot of those because a lot of them have uh so we've just replaced those with better ideas or like new memes you know things like that um but yeah there's there's a lot of content there's a lot of humor uh six games for the price of two if you have all six already, there's definitely some value there. If you send me a picture of you and all the six games, I'll give you some kind of discount. No problem with that. Heard it here first, folks. Wicked. Yeah, so you can find all Jason's games at drinkingquest.com. Also, a great follow on the nightmare that is Twitter, uh, at DrinkingQuest. <laughs> now that uh, the world is possibly a little bit better, things maybe won't be as bleak, but, uh, you know, if you need that uh, that 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 positivity... Jason's all about positivity, right, Jason? At least half the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and if you uh, if you liked this episode and you want to go back and listen to our NES episode, it was episode fifty five where we had Steve Jones on. He was a great musician. He did our uh, intro and outro music, and he's doing a lot of game covers. And otherwise, you can find us at happyzen.com. We are uh, Happy Zen Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And I think we're still on Facebook. If you're into you know, that kind of thing, you can search for us. Yeah, and I and I hope you know some of you listeners are part of the rationale of the uh, bump that Steve's had on his YouTube account. I, I would love I'd love it to be a happy Zen bump. It's probably not. It's probably the other way around. We're probably getting things from from his fans. But we you actually drain people's numbers. Yeah, the I numbers wasn't. Sure. I, I wasn't. I want to say we give a bump, but I'm starting to think in saying it, we're probably not helping but anyhow yeah i'm gonna cut this out it's fine (laughs) awesome but jason thanks for joining man it was so good and uh yeah you really got me thinking about final fantasy now so that's it's that's cool yeah yeah this is a blast i can't believe there's only one repeat between uh all three of those lists so yeah Uh, you know i'm just i'm shocked too i really thought we were all gonna do the zelda mario mario world and 
you know, it was very tempting to do that, but I'm, it's so cool that we didn't. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun to uh, wax nostalgia with you guys. Wicked, man. All right. Uh, until next time, we're uh, out of here. <laughs>